if you feel sorry for me in case I bomb here. <laughs> but if I start to drop an energy, I just want you to know it's just physical energy that's uh, trying to keep burning, whatever. So I was um, asked to continue our series on the fruit of the Spirit and um, was given uh, the lowest hanging fruit. So it was the one on kindness, and it was the only one left, <laughs> and the one I needed the most practice on, so it was perfect. Um, so <coughs> what I want to do is I want to tell you where I'm going with this, and, um, and I'll have a little bit of participation Later on, I want to, and I might as well tell you now so you can kind of play with your phones and get it out of the way, uh, those of you that have your Bibles on the phone. Um, I'll be asking for some of your favorite verses on uh, kindness. So um, forget looking up Proverbs 31 because I'm using that one, okay? Words, really funny. I'm the training coordinator at uh, a family-owned business here in Tacoma. And all day long, I'm trying to figure out what, how people are wired, their heads, because I've got to train them and coach them for a couple of weeks. And in that first day or two, I've got to figure out their learning style. Are they a on-hands learner, uh, audio, uh, you know, more ear-oriented, um, you know. So anyway, I will do these fabulous put-together video training videos and things, and then I'll get a phone call, you know, a couple of weeks later from somebody and just go, uh, Carl, uh, I need your help on this. And I go, I just did the video. Yeah, but I'm a hands-on learner. I can't do it, the visual and the audio. And <laughs> so... <coughs> How I approach this tonight is going to be, I'm going to take us, taking us to uh, Galatians chapter 5, and just want to highlight a few verses before we launch into the topic of kindness. I'm then going to define, uh, as best I can, a practical approach to what kindness is, and then we're going to kind of flesh it out with some stories. And then um, make an appeal to you, the same appeal that I think the apostle is making here as to why this fruit is so important. So <coughs> if you have your little gadgets, I should see them flashing here, right? <coughs> In uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for, for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law, is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then there's a warning in there that comes back up again later. 
But if you bite, that means provoke one another and devour one another. That means eat up each other. Watch out that, that you're not consumed or utterly destroyed by one another. He says, keep in step with the spirit. But I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident and then he lists them, right? If you've seen any American movies, you know what they're all about. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, meaning there's no, no run-in with the law. There's nothing, no consequences for living this kind of life, right? No condemnation, no shame, um, and so forth. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And there you have that second warning right there. Now, I skipped over the bad part, if you will. But he does give a warning in verse 21. I warn you as I warned you before. So it's not the first time he's addressed this, that those who do such things won't inherit the kingdom of God. And I've heard people dance all around those, that passage, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But I think there's a, a, a serious warning in here just to, to all people, to God's people, to everybody, um, to keep us out of this danger zone. Now, I'm on the topic of kindness, so I can't get any booze tonight, right? I mean, that's pretty innocent and safe area. But... <clears throat> I want to, I was thinking about, you know, you could, you could go to the Greek, you could chop it all up, dice it, dissect it and everything, and basically what you come up with is kindness. Um, most of your modern translations say kindness. So we'd probably be better served just going to an American dictionary, looking up kindness and find out what they had in mind when they translated the Greek into kindness. So our basic definition from the Oxford American Dictionary is being friendly, generous, and considerate. So we're going to unpack those three in a little bit. Friendly, generous, and considerate. So what do we not mean by kindness? And I think kindness is mixed up with being nice. Okay? Nice is agreeable. Nice is palatable, right? Um, something that's nice to my taste, but French toast is nice. It's agreeable to me if you put syrup on it. So be nice to me. Now, I'd rather be around a nice person than um, an ornery person, right? I'd rather be around an agreeable person than someone that's always disagreeing with what you say. 
But still, it's not the same as kindness. It's, it doesn't have an objective. It's just describing a demeanor. And so kindness has much more of a target to it. And so <coughs> I, I thought I'd take some illustrations from the past. And <coughs> I always, uh, people, when I'm done with these illustrations, sometimes people will say to me, how come you reach so far back with your stories? I mean, how isn't God doing anything new in your life? You know, I'm going to reach back to when I met the Lord Jesus Christ in 1975 at the age of 20. Why? Well, for two reasons. When you tell stories, you kind of forget <laughs> parts of it that you don't want to remember, right? No. Um, when you're telling stories or you're rehashing something that God taught you and you share that with others, if there's any hint of reflected glory in that. Um, I believe when you tell stories about how God taught you to be generous, how God taught you to be friendly, how God taught you to do it, there's appropriate settings for it. But when you do that, when you use those illustrations, I'm convinced you're giving up your reward for that. You're receiving your reward here. Now, maybe there's another law behind the law, uh, or like C.S. Lewis says, you know, a mystery behind everything. And maybe by giving it up for a noble purpose, you get it back again. I don't know. But as I tell these stories, I just want you to know I'm reaching back, and my right hand doesn't know what my left hand's doing. Not because I'm aging. Just because when you do acts of kindness, and you want God to receive the glory, you don't have to talk about it. The people that receive the kindness know it. If they decide to tell somebody else, God's getting the glory because they never saw my face. So we, so our kindness is, and uh, our external ways of showing kindness are certainly open, but we don't need to draw attention to it. You know how the Pharisees loved to do it in public? I mean, they wanted that reward of recognition from people. So I'm reaching back now to um, 1975. Uh, I met Christ in a little Assembly of God church. Totally unexpected. And Soon after this, uh, family members started to come to the Lord. Now, I grew up with six sisters, and my dad had just become a Christian. And so everybody's kind of fenced in, and now it's just church life. You know what I mean? It wants to kind of make up for all the mess, dysfunctional family life that we had for so many years. And so... You know, church attendance was sort of making up for it. It's just a fact. Well, my sisters came to me one day exasperated. They're in their all younger, so they're all in their teens. And they're looking for boyfriends. And they're looking around the church. And after a few weeks, they just go, Carl, 
Come here. I want Dad to hear this. Is it okay to have a boyfriend that's not a Christian? And I, I was a brand new Christian, so I didn't know all the answers. Didn't sound right. I mean, I just left the world of darkness, came into a world filled with light, so I know I didn't want my sisters associating at that level with non-Christians. So I said, no. I said, that, that just wouldn't be appropriate. And they're going, yeah, but I, mean, I said, I, you know, if I don't want you chasing guys, but haven't you met anybody in the church uh, that, you know, looks promising? Uh, and he goes, well, they're nice, but they're not like guys. So they were mixing up. Uh, to them, it was they were nice wimps. And I think today kindness in a man is viewed or is assumed to be perceived as um, being nice. So I'm going to come back to this one later, and only because I told my wife I wasn't going to share this one, but the Lord addressed it right before I left the house. And so I'm going to bring it back later. But I had a friend, have a friend at work, and I felt like he was getting into uh, an area of giving too much attention uh, to uh, uh, another female coworker that was married. And um, so one day I called him on it, and he walked away in a flurry and came back a little bit later and just said, that wasn't nice. And it's true. It wasn't agreeable. It wasn't palatable. It didn't go over well and still hasn't gone over well, even though we've attempted to patch things up. And I'll come back to that story because it's a sobering part of it. But anyway, um, there's a difference between nice and showing kindness, all right? I, kindness is much more robust. You may remember numerous election cycles back. Um, uh, there was a political motto, uh, a, a kinder and gentler nation, right? And we were just kind of take the nation and transform it from the top down and just make us all kinder and gentler. And, you know, after the party got eaten by the wolves and, uh, you know, then we write books like, um, what's one I saw here? No More Mr. Nice Guy. Uh, I haven't read the books. I'm not poo-pooing it. I'm just saying it's like we try all these things. And, um, no, Mr. Nice Guy doesn't work. You will not be agreeable to this world if you're light and salt and you have an ounce of integrity. Um, you will rub somebody the wrong way. Now, <coughs> right before I left, this isn't the climax of everything here. Right before I left, I saw this figure come darting across the lawn 
I'm about to walk outside, and um, the dog caught wind of it first, the German shepherd in the house. And um, she just lunged at the door. And so I opened it just a crack to see a, a young fellow on the other side. And I had done a lot of door-to-door -door work uh, in my youth. And so I appreciate these guys that can walk up and just start a conversation uh, with somebody they don't even know. But I'm sitting there with an opening like this. I never really thought about how it would be perceived from the other side. Now, he knew the dog was there. He's growling, wanting to get at his kneecaps. And it's not my dog. It's my daughter's dog. So I could say he'll sit, be quiet, whatever. She's not going to listen to me. So I'm just guarding this man. He has no idea the kindness I'm showing him at this point. Um, and so he un does something and hands out a coupon, and I just said, um, thank you, but n no thank you. And he just stepped back and just, yeah, you white person seeing someone of a different pigmentation coming up to your door, I, 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 get, I get who you are, what you're made of, you know. Well, God bless you. And He's going down the street and he goes, God bless you, God bless you. And I just go, oh my goodness, is there any way I could have avoided that situation? I mean, I invite Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses into my house on hot days and just give them a cold glass of water while I'm talking to them. Here there was no opportunity for that, you know. So I'm going to go away. I'm going to say, God, is there some way that that kind of situation happened again. Can I address it slightly different? Can, you know, I don't want somebody that's been wounded by the culture to never get over that. So, <clears throat> but anyway, I don't have an immediate solution for that. But here was me being kind, totally misconstrued by this gentleman as being, I can't even open a full door and face him face to face. And believe me, if I did, that shepherd would be out on the porch. Now I want to illustrate what, how kindness impacted my life. I shared this at one of our home groups. And um, it takes me back to 1975. And <coughs> our family was a rather dysfunctional family. I mean, I guess I was blinded by childhood. I grew up quite a happy kid. And, um, but my dad was an alcoholic. My mother was treated way beneath her worth. And at the first opportunity I got, I split. At 15, I left and was working on a farm in upstate Pennsylvania. And somehow they tracked me down because the people that I was working for uh, figured out that um, my dad had left my mom. So he headed out to California, was gone for like six months. She's all on her own with all these six girls and 
So they were trying to help her out by saying, I couldn't board with them anymore. So I find my way back to Connecticut, <coughs> to our home, and I'm just, uh, I had had the most wonderful time away from the family and um, had just blossomed in my studies and just saw life totally differently. And it's what every kid deserves is that kind of peaceful lifestyle, you know. But um, I had abandoned, my sisters took it as abandonment from me, and so there were strained relationships. Anyway, I go back home. I go part-time to school, part-time work-study, trying to support the family. Uh, Mom got a part-time job. Then dad comes back. They all move to California, and I stay behind. I board with the family um, in the aerospace uh, space company and started working my way up, up as a machinist and never thought about my family for three years. No letters, phone calls. They didn't even enter my mind. That's how the extent of my kindness. I became a very hard person. And one day, out of the blue, I get this phone call. I recognize the heavy Norwegian accent. It's my dad. He's calling from California. And he goes, Carl, your mom took the kids and just took off, and I'm all alone, and I need some moral support. Unbeknownst to me, there was a raid on our home, and the police would have taken the kids away had my mom not moved out with them. So I just hear one side of the story. So I'm thinking to myself, and I'm back in Connecticut. I got some things going for me. I'm planning on uh, the University of Hartford. I'm trying to save up money, but it's hard when you're buying all these expensive toys, you know, top of the line French road bikes and fancy skis and boots and just. So <coughs> anyway, I thought, man, I've seen a lot of. I think they're doing a redo of it now. Chips, you know, the California motorcycle cops. You know, I'd seen those movies, and I just go, boy, California would be kind of cool to visit. So uh, I, I go, well, you know, if you can flip the bill for my flight, I could probably come out and, you know, see you and see if I can't be some support to you. Ten days later, I'm flying out. Unbeknownst to me, my dad finds my mom's Bible in that 10-day period. And he had a radical conversion. And I show up at the airport, and my dad, whose language could just peel the paint off walls, was just completely transformed, his demeanor, everything. I'm walking through the airport, and he's sharing with me how he came to repentance and how he was having a heart attack or a stroke or something while he's driving down the freeway and there's the VA hospital and there's a church and he had to make up his mind what he was going to do. So he goes into the church and it's this little AG church 
and he just fumbles in, thinking he's having a heart attack. And it was later confirmed through blood tests he had had a heart attack. Well, they just gather around him, not knowing if he's drunk or what's up. And the Lord completely heals him. And according to his testimony, when they went in for the, the, the blood test, told him it was a heart attack. But the, his previous heart attacks, he said all the scar tissue was gone from his previous heart attacks. Anyways, telling me this story, and I have, we didn't grow up in a home that went to church. I didn't know the story of David and Goliath at 20. So all this healing stuff, I don't understand, right? But one thing that happened while we're walking through the airport, through the airport, I'm just going, if God would have anything to do with my dad, He must be totally different than I thought he was like. So my perception of God, this kindness that had been extended to someone unworthy, just was a mega shift. Now, I was in no sense ready to just like, oh, I think I'll turn my rain, the reins of my life over to God or something. I'll share my end of my testimony some other time. That same day, though, I met Christ. So kindness was uh, something demonstrated as God reaching out to an enemy who had come to the end of themselves and he humbled himself to show friendship to this old Norwegian um, merchant mariner. God was generous in the way he pursued me, pursued my dad, pursued my family. He was considerate. He took his time. God didn't push himself on me. There weren't these ultimatums and constant threats. Oh, there's some basic threats. If you continue this way, it's over for you. But the way he appealed to me, it was this, what is that song? It's your kindness that leads us to repentance, oh Lord. And if I resisted that kindness, I certainly would have seen the other side, the severity of God. But how could I resist someone? I mean, if I compared myself to the way my dad had lived, I was a goody two-shoes. And I remember growing up just thinking, or really during my um, teens, I, I, <laughs> the family I boarded with happened to be Jehovah's Witnesses. And so, um, you know, they, they had their religious convictions and all. And... Um, they really never debated with me because they didn't want to get into an antagonistic uh, argument with somebody that's boarding with them. But what a contrast it was how God demonstrated his kindness to my dad and then eventually to me as opposed to the way they viewed everything. 
is just dramatically different. So kindness, not quite the same as being nice. How do I, how do, how do, you, how do you express some of these things? How do you express friendliness? Boy, I can't compete with um, Dan's wife. I just loved her presentation during the evangelism seminar. Um, but we had been talking a lot about showing friendliness to people, didn't we? And we talked about acknowledging, I think it was Lewis that said, just acknowledging people, eyeball contact. Now, it, it wouldn't work on a street like New York City or L.A., right? I mean, ha, 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 ha. You know, you'd look stupid. But here, you know, 6 o'clock in the morning, walking down, Pacific Avenue, there's only a few strays walking by. And so I've made it a habit that everybody gets a good morning uh, when I meet somebody down or just encounter anybody walking down the street. Everybody gets a good morning. But even that has to be fine-tuned. In other words, we're not just friendly like, hi, hi, how are you? Hey, have a good one. It's not like that. It's genuinely, you're actually extending a virtue, a kindness to somebody, a real person. So kindness is always growing, just like love has to grow in discernment, right? The way I express love to people now has grown immensely than when I was first converted. Kindness is the same thing. So I'm walking down the street, and I'm saying hello, or good morning, rather. And some of the guys have just slept in a doorway. Whether it's a choice or whether they're destitute by no choice of their own, I don't know. But then it started to dawn on me, good morning really isn't the... I'm not trying to project on to them how my morning is, right? I'm, I'm just trying to greet them, acknowledge them. So for some, I've had to change it from good morning to just morning, acknowledging their presence without comparing their present life with my own. Being generous. One of the first uh, lessons I got, now I am sort of a stingy Norwegian, you know? I sh I'm Norwegian, so I'm, I can say it about our race, but um, stingy. And don't part with money very easily unless it's something nice and expensive and shiny for yourself. <laughs> and anyway, so I was a, a, a brand new Christian. And, and one of the reasons, by the way, just so you know, there are some lessons you don't have to learn 20, 30, 40 times over. Is that right? There are some lessons you can just learn once, and that's good for the rest of your life. So I am trying to be a generous person, and I read this, which is part of being friendly. And I'm reading this passage about, given it shall be given unto you, pressed down and shaken together, running over. Right? In other words, what's the main point? Don't worry about running out. Right? Just be generous. So I said, okay, is this a testable model? 
I mean, can this be put to the test? So a week later, <coughs> we're at this art show in Balboa Park in San Diego. And my mom had just been stranded by my dad, <coughs> um, who was just off doing business stuff. And so she was left there to oversee this uh, whole thing. And she just kind of sighed sitting there. And she said, oh, I wish I had a cup of coffee and a newspaper. And I thought about my wallet. I had one dollar. And I thought, that's all I have for lunch. But what if I was generous? It would just about cover a cup of coffee, not now, but then, a cup of coffee and a newspaper. So I walked down to the stand, got a cup of coffee. She drinks it black, so I didn't have to fix it up fancy. Uh, and a newspaper, and I brought it back, and oh, she was so tickled pink that her dream came true, right, for that morning. And so I just turned and I said, God, it sure did feel good giving. I'm, I'm probably as blessed or more than she even feels. But I am trying to find out if what I read is true. <laughs> Not for repayment, just to test the promises. I mean, I'm not, how many occasions am I going to have like this where I'm parting with all I have? Right? So I'm taking a walk down this street, and this guy pulls up in his fancy Mercedes. And he says, hey, could you give me a hand for a minute? And I, I was new to California, so I don't know how bad people approach you. So um, I said, well, what's up? And he goes, I just got a call, phone call from this guy that's supposed to help me unload this photocopier and just bring it into that office right there. I can't lift it alone. Can you help me? That seems safe enough. So I said, sure, I'll help you. So I grabbed the back end of the, co uh, the copier. We lifted over, put it in the front of this store, and, I'm, and, and he said, thank you. And I said, you're welcome. And he said, here. And he pulls out a $10 bill. And he says, this is what I was supposed to pay the guy that was going to help me. And I go, oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's my pleasure to help you. He goes, no, 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 I insist. I'm walking away with that 10 and I'm going, wow, pressed down, shaken together. I could have walked down a different road, right? God set me up to train me a little bit about generosity which falls underneath the canopy of being friendly. Friendship isn't just to strangers um, either. Um, friendships need to be nurtured. The Old Testament is replete with passages of showing kindness to the stranger people roaming through Israel. And I think we should at least regurgitate those and think about those and not just as a Christian community, not just get so comfortable in protecting ourselves. I'm not talking about being stupid governmentally or anything, but we are 
we have a, a unique role as American Christians to demonstrate kindness to strangers. And um, we ought to at least think and talk about these kinds of things. And actually, this whole message on kindness, I mean, this should be done in a small group setting, right? Around in a small room where we're sharing stories and and stuff. But this was allotted to me, so uh, this is the way it's going. All right. (coughs) Two thoughts. Why are we told that this fruit of the Spirit is something to be, in a sense, aimed at. I don't think we strive at it uh, because it's just a natural outworking of cooperation with God. We don't strive to produce this fruit. However, when you see the word kindness and a guy's uh, running off your porch yelling at you, I may not have done anything wrong, but this verse just stands out, doesn't it? I mean, anytime you don't think you measure up, it kind of goes in your face and you just kind of reflect on your life a little bit. Well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, getting back to the story of um, uh, the friend at work. It can't go very far because it was just something very, very recent. that God opened up to me. And I think it brings just a little bit of soberness to the whole area of kindness. Job said, he who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. We're all clay vessels. The treasure God's deposited is in jars of clay. And I may not do everything perfect, but if I approach a friend and have genuine good intentions, and then that friendship is then now severed and withheld from me, what I didn't realize, I thought, oh, I'll give him some time. I have to, we've already talked once since then. Uh, maybe, you know, kind of approach it again. This verse really sobered me. The fear of God has left. I mean, as far as praying for my friend, I offered up some prayers, but To withhold a friendship because you've been corrected? If you've been corrected by somebody and you'd rather shun them than reevaluate your life, if your wife corrects you and or your husband corrects you, they may not do it perfect. But if you withhold from them, because you don't want to walk in the light as God's in the light, 
there's something of the fear of the Lord that is dissipated. So I am approaching my friendship that's on wobbly legs with much more soberness. I'm still going to be generous and considerate and uh, all these uh, positive things. But we're emulating God when we show kindness. We're written epistles. We're letters that people are reading every day. Day in, day out, they're reading you. And sometimes we wonder why we don't have the boldness that we wish we had in just conversing with friends and whatever. Sometimes it's just... uh, needing a fresh baptism or like an old Indian evangelist I knew used to say, you need a violent baptism in the Holy Ghost. You know, sometimes we just need a real refreshing from God. Sometimes we need to study so that we can show ourselves approved to God and be ready to give answers to just the general common questions that people ask that might intimidate us. Other times... Other times, we're doing things that violate our conscience. Pilfering from work, calling in sick when we're not sick, uh, stretching our breaks way beyond if we're paid by the hour, um, gossiping at work. Those things will take the wind out of your sail. You have no confidence uh, to look people straight in the eye and and talk about the dramatic change that's gone on in your own. So, been there, faced plenty of stumbling blocks of my own. God's walked me through them. I've determined, though, I don't want to learn the same lesson more than once. And in fact, in the Lord's Prayer, when it says, lead us not into temptation. Okay, you want to hear Carl Brun's version of that? It can't mean God don't lead us into the temptation of evil because God's not tempted and he doesn't tempt anybody to do evil. And it's the same word that's used for trial or test. So this is how I translate that to myself when I pray it every morning. God, Don't lead me into any unnecessary testing. If you don't learn your, you're not going to walk a bed of ease in this Christian walk. But sometimes when we don't listen, we're asking for extra trials. We will learn our lesson. I mean, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There's no way around it. When you said yes to Jesus, that's your predestination, brothers and sisters. You're going to be conformed to his image. So, I have a friend on my mind. Maybe you have a ruptured friendship somewhere or somebody that you feel, you know, I got to 
I got to go that extra mile. They're, they're treading on a little bit dangerous ground here. So um, I would invite you to find someone that you think can relate to that prayer request. Um, I can certainly relate, so I'm, I'm here. And um, I just want to take a few moments. If, if you need water like I do, um, feel free to go through the doors. We kind of want to keep this area that open, that if this was a, a timely word for you, you know, um, have you ever spiritually felt like you were sort of stuck on stupid? You just, you're spinning your wheels and you just can't get traction? Um, maybe God reminded you of the last time he talked to you and you just kind of got to step back and maybe take something he said uh, more soberly, more serious because he has your best interest in mind. I'd close in a song if I could sing. Um, right? So we just, if you, if you have somebody that you want to talk to or pray with or you want to come up and chat, I'd be perfectly fine with just praying a word of agreement with you where two are gathered together in his name, especially when it comes to reconciliation. God's presence. That's, that's our whole message is a, a message of reconciling. So. Our Father, we're so glad to have been adopted into your family. You are so friendly. You're so generous. And you're so considerate of where we're at today. Oh, Lord, you've extended your mercy and your, your kindness to us so often. And today, just reflecting on some of the things that we've, just on the word kindness and what it means. I pray you'd make us and continue to fill us with an enthusiasm to be otherly, to just reach out, to be a friend to the friendless, to the unpopular people, to the ones that are just hard to communicate with. And I know you'll work miracles in people's lives, God. So we offer up ourselves to you and pray that you just fill us with your spirit in Christ's name.
Must have been like a very interesting week for you, like kind of chaotic, but also kind of like going really. Yeah, sure. Like, cause like the Lord really kind of stepped and came through.